Does your team feel emotionally exhausted, kind of flat, maybe they're frazzled or still leading in a fog? By the end of this episode, you will be inspired to invest in the emotional health of your staff and colleagues in 2023. Because let's face it, guys, life is better when you're thriving and not just surviving. Hey, everyone, welcome to the Church Changer Podcast. Thank you for joining us. My name is Lauren Berkerich, and I'm one of your hosts here at Church Changer, and I'm joined by my co-host and my pastor, Tim Lucas. Hey, Tim. It is coming up, end of the year. Ministry leaders, they're totally spent. They're running on fumes. That's typical. How are you doing? Hey, Lauren. I am actually emotionally energized. Whoa. (laughs) I couldn't always say that. Uh, but our two kids just left for college. Oh, that's and why. So, <laughs> so we're now empty nesters. And uh, but that isn't what has me emotionally energized. Uh, you know, like everybody else, the last three years has just been a really brutal journey. A lot of ups and downs, false starts, as people returning to church, and all the chaos that COVID brought upon us. And uh, I really struggled uh, through certain seasons of that, mm-hmm. feeling emotionally flat, disoriented. Um, But the reality is uh, it's been a year of tremendous growth for me Uh, in all areas. Spiritually, I feel closer to Jesus than ever, uh, spending more time with him, not just doing for him, Um, deeply connected to my wife, Colleen, you know, the love of my life. Yeah. And uh, I'm really glad we spent the last 18 years investing in our relationship. So now everybody wants to know, well, how did he do that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing we're going to talk about today. Here's the truth, guys. No one magically starts the new year with a fresh tank of gas, right? It's not Mm -hmm. like we come through, you know, Christmas services and New Year's Eve and wow, I just feel energized. (laughs) (laughs) Most people enter the new year running on fumes. And so what we wanted to talk about is, man, the problems, the burnout, the previous year, they kind of tend to come along with you, but it doesn't have to be that way. I want you to imagine if you could start the new year healthy. Now I'm not talking about like a resolution. I'm going to join the gym. I'm talking about a lifestyle change that brings emotionally healthy spirituality into your life, your leadership, and the lives of those you lead. Um, We're going to talk today about investing in your staff or your team of volunteers because, let's be real, burnout is now almost a headline uh, every day in the church. You have another leader burning out or flaming out uh, because the relentless pressures, you know, the ministry and then exacerbated by COVID and all the complications. But Um, God has more for you, and uh, we want that emotional health for ourselves, for our staff. And so at Liquid, uh, I'm going to turn this back to you, Lauren. What we did is we Mm -hmm. invested in the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course uh, that Pete Scazzaro has taught. He was a mentor to me, is a mentor. Um, It's really two parts, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, followed by Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And so we're going to walk through what that looked like in our personal lives And then as we iterate it out to our whole staff and eventually our whole congregation, and I want to encourage you to do the same. Yeah, guys, this is really super exciting. I mean, we're really, you know, we're going to be really passionate about this today because we've gone through it ourselves and we're advocates for it. We're champions of this. But Tim, this actually came about for our entire organization because you personally went through the course. Pete reached out to you. I think it might have been in 2020 when we were in the midst of the pandemic, right? He ran the course for pastors who were trudging through. They had so much weight on their shoulders. So tell us about that. Yeah, it's really interesting timing. It was about, I think, three or four years before. I think Rich Velotis had reached out to me to be in an EH uh, course with pastors, mm-hmm. and it just wasn't the right timing. And so Pete had reached out during the pandemic, and man, that was providential. Yeah. Uh, because I think we all felt disoriented, depleted. Uh, it wasn't just the physical fatigue, but there was an emotional weight to that journey. And I'll tell you, it was like a lifeline for me. 
Uh, Pete led that cohort with a number of other lead pastors. And first off, we found a lot of community. <laughs> we were dealing with a lot of the same problems and challenges. But he really helped highlight the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Mm. Uh, that is, I grew up in a church where there's an emphasis, certainly a very robust theology, rigorous preaching. Uh, you could never fault us on our Bible teaching, but perhaps maybe not aware of the full continuum of emotions that most of us had, especially the difficult emotions, yeah. anger, fear, sadness. A lot of pastors are so angry right now. Mm, that's <laughs> that, true. It's a surface emotion, but that 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 anger they have, that 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 lack of control, the fear of we don't know the future, you know, of our church, the grief. There's a sadness, and I think a lot of Christians are taught like, well, you know, we do have losses, but we walk in victory in Jesus, you know, and and we don't want to spend much time grieving our losses. Uh, but Pete really showed how the essence of leadership is to process, not only identify your feelings, but process them well. So watch this. You can enter the feelings of others. In other words, if you're not even aware of your own grief, how can you help somebody else grieve their losses? Right. And so it really was a journey for me of kind of going under the iceberg. We'll talk about that, that picture of an iceberg where about 80% of our emotional lives are just kind of uncovered. And going into that and saying, man, who has God uniquely created me to be? Um, for me, one of the most powerful parts of that was exploring my foo or family of origin uh, and how, you know, the reality is the Bible says, you know, the sins of the father are passed down from one generation next, two or three generations. And what happens often, both the good and the bad, right? right. We, we, That's many true. Of us, we have a lot of gratitude for our families. They have passed down some wonderful godly gifts, but also uh, a lot of times dysfunctions in families. Uh, could be divorce, could be criticism in the home, uh, could be abuse. Is often iterated from one generation to the next. And so the reality is our job is to disciple people into the new family of Jesus. We're putting off the old, putting on the new, and learning how to live and uh, enlarge ourselves through some of these things that are more difficult to talk about. So, uh, so many things we could talk about. I would just say this. The biggest change to my leadership is I realized my doing for Jesus far outpaced my being with Jesus. Mm. Anybody identify? Can you? I, I feel like everybody <laughs> identified with that on our staff. 100%. I mean, we're in the North American church. Busyness is a virtue. Um, it's the only, you know, commandment we brag about breaking is, you know, breaking the Sabbath. Like, oh man, I worked seven days last week. It was nuts. Or the, I only got five <laughs> hours of sleep, you know, yeah. I was working so late. Super unhealthy. Yeah. This is not God's best for us. And so it was really helpful because I would describe before emotionally healthy uh, spirituality, I was, my leadership style was an activist, 100%. Mm. Pedal to the metal, do, do, do. And yes, I had a life with Jesus, but it wasn't um, reflective. It wasn't uh, slowed down for just being with Jesus, right? The lover of my soul. I was definitely more Martha than Mary. <laughs> I read that and I'm like, yeah, I, I liked it Martha on my team. Yes. <laughs> Well, isn't that funny? Because I think we actually surround ourselves with people who are very much doers, right? Yeah. In our organization, because we see, oh, the, oh, that person really gets things done and they get it done with excellence. And we're all yeah. kind of in the same boat suffering from the same things. There's so much to do and to be done, right? You identify with Martha and she sweats the details. There's a lot to like there. Yeah. But then Jesus looks down at Mary, who's the contemplative, sitting at his feet, listening to what Jesus had to say. And he says, oh, she's chosen what's better mm. and it won't be taken from her. So- my challenge was, how do I marry those two and become a contemplative activist where my doing for Jesus flows out of my being with him? 
Yeah. yeah. And that was a transformational experience. So I, I asked our uh, leadership team, I said, would you be willing to go through EHS in the winter 2021? Then we rolled out to our, our board of trustees, our pastors in the spring, and then our entire staff and small group leaders in the fall. And then we capped off that experience. It really was a two, three-year rollout by bringing EHS to our entire congregation in the fall of 2021. So we put a lot of time and energy in rolling this out to our entire congregation. And now in 2022, the journey continues as our staff actually goes through the course Emotionally Healthy Relationships. So now EHS, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, that's all about the vertical relationship you have with God and who He created you to be. And then EHR, Emotionally Healthy Relationships, is about the horizontal relationship you have with others. So one actually naturally builds upon the other. Now, listen, this is not the only way you can invest in your staff. We realize that. But it's pretty powerful because long-term, it can truly impact the lives of your people and their families, and it can transform your staff culture. So it's different than a one-day retreat or an extra week of vacation, both good things, but it's actually about life change, and that's why we wanted to have this conversation today. Now at Liquid, we have a champion of all things related to emotional health. It's our discipleship pastor, Mike Lee. He's our resident expert in this space. He's our guest today, here to help you understand what we've done, its impact, and how you can actually make it work for your church in 2023. So let's go ahead and dive in. I am so excited to welcome my brother from another mother, Mike Lee, to the podcast. What's up, Mike? Hey, Tim. Hey, Lauren. How are you guys? Good. So fun to have you, man. Uh, Mike is the discipleship pastor here at Liquid Church. He's also a member of our senior leadership team. So in that role, Mike oversees small groups, prayer teams, marriage ministries, lay counseling, and our growing team of associate pastors, high-capacity volunteers who are, are leading in our ministry. Now, what's kind of interesting, Mike, is you come out of the marketplace, yeah? Yeah, that's right. 20 years. 20 years in the marketplace. What what were you actually doing? Yeah, so I worked at a company called Shiseido. We are a personal care cosmetics company uh, that's based out of Japan. But, uh, you know, during the pandemic, I really felt like God was calling me into ministry and kind of speaking to my heart saying, hey, you were working on people's outsides, right? But I, but the Lord looks at what's in the heart, so I'm going to give you this new calling and this new vision for your life in this next season. And so... I said, okay, God, here we go. It was awesome, man. <laughs> I'm so glad you jumped aboard. And it, it is, I mean, Mike is one of uh, a wonderful, just not the Holy Spirit, just speaking to you, but you really invested in the church, just volunteering and serving in everything from Liquid Family, our kids' ministry, to caring for people as a volunteer associate pastor. Yeah. Mike yep. is known as a baby whisperer. Did is you know right? this? Yes. I, I have been known to hold, hold the babies and stop them from crying from time to time. Oh, man. That should be our free gift today. <laughs> <laughs> free child care from Mike. That's right. Oh my goodness, that's great. Well, Mike, I do want to ask you this question because when you decided to transition to ministry, I just want to ask you this. What was the response from your colleagues at work? Yeah, so, you know, I was, I, I prayed about this for a long time. And, you know, when you always make that kind of career jump, you're always a little nervous. And I just, I remember praying a lot that morning. I had this impromptu meeting with my boss. And um, when I let her know, and then she let you know her boss know, they were both like really supportive. They they were you know they thought it was an amazing opportunity. It fit my personality. They're like the way that you've helped develop your staff. This makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then they said, but let us know when you're done with your midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> they they literally thought it was just a whim. Like yeah, great uh, resignation. Like oh, we get it. Go go oh, make yourself happy, and then come back when you're ready to like do real work again. Wow, so. incredible. 
Well, well Mike's God. having a great impact here. He's doing real work right now. Yeah, it's Huge. incredible. Absolutely. Mike, first thing I want to ask is take us back to 2021 and really the reasons why we launched this emotionally healthy journey as a staff. Because uh, I think at that time, we really saw our staff was was languishing. Mm-hmm. That's a buzzword. If yeah. you guys remember in 2021, you're languishing, which just means you're experiencing this kind of stagnation, uh, just a sense of emptiness. Like, mm-hmm. what's the point giving out effort? And you kind of hold on to your reserves. You don't want to give out mm-hmm. too much. Almost like you're going through a life in a fog. What did you see in our staff at that time? Yeah, I think languishing really was that perfect word to describe what we all felt as people um, and as a staff. But to take it a step further, I think to get to the root of it, the last three years, there was a lot of trauma. It was, it was really traumatic yeah. for us. Mm-hmm. And John Eldridge, I think, sums it up well in his book, Resilient, when he says, you know, we've all been through 30 years of trauma in about three years. True. So, you know, we were disconnected. We were missing community and connection, lonely, apathetic, dealing with all the uncertainty. And there was no separation between home and life. And then on top of that, all the political stuff, the mass the vaccination, racial political things, and Zoom fatigue was a real thing, mm-hmm. cancel culture. And, um, you know, sorry, just bummed everybody. I think a lot of people right <laughs> now, just no, reminded I, them of the trauma. Well, it's still lingering, yeah, right? It's still lingering. Sure. It was yeah. like a lack of wellness. Like Yeah. Yeah. yeah you I just think so. like things are, I don't know. I just don't feel like myself or I can't quite yeah. get back to where I was. Yeah. And, you know, and as a church staff, right, we like to say we're in the relationship business. And we had no idea how to do relationships anymore because everything we knew how to do, it just no longer applied. Right. And we had people leaving the church in record numbers, not just our church, but every church, right? Yep. They're deconstructing their faith or church leaders having moral failures. And, you know, I can't even count the number of times someone would say to me, man, I feel like I'm working so much harder than I've ever worked and I'm not getting half the results I used to get. Right. And that takes a toll on your yeah. mental health, your spiritual health, your emotional health. And so what really convicted me was, you know, what we needed to address was that maybe we had a shallow discipleship, maybe emotionally healthy spirituality and relationships um, that would help us to help continue to disciple our people and allow us to start deepening uh, the care of our staff, right? Mm-hmm. You, you hear people say hurt people hurt people, um, but I think the opposite is also true, that healed people will heal people. Mm-hmm. And that's when yeah. that's what we want to be as a church, right? A hospital for sinners, um, mm-hmm. of which I am public sinner number one. That's my life verse. <laughs> 1 Timothy 1.15, my life verse, right? But if our church is going to be that hospital for sinners and be healthy, we need to find a way to train and care for our staff more intentionally. You know, what I love is this visual representation. The book and the coursework for Emotionally Healthy Spirituality actually uses this um, visual of an iceberg, mm-hmm. right? Now, with an iceberg, something you guys might know um, is that you only see what's on the surface, but that actually only represents about 20% of its mass. Mm. The rest is below the surface. So, Mike, can you explain what that actually means in terms of self-discovery? Yeah, that, that iceberg, is it's so accurate in terms of how you can look at your life, right? That 20%, that's what people see, that's what you see, you're consciously aware of it, but that 80% below the surface is actually who you really are. Um, and it has a lot more to do with ha- explaining how you're feeling, what you're experiencing, how you even respond to certain situations and people. And so it's not the visible part of the iceberg that sank the Titanic. It was mm. what was below the surface. And so in order for us to really know who we are, we need to explore what's beneath the surface with God. And and we need to find that true freedom. I think a lot of us have heard things uh, like growing up saying, don't trust your feelings or feelings are bad. Mm. But that's not actually how God created us to be. Uh, He has feelings, right? And if anything, he felt more deeply than anyone, and he was always willing to demonstrate them, to lean into them, and actually to process them, right? He wept for his friend Lazarus. Um, Or the Bible talks about how God has regrets or compassion or anguish. Mm -hmm. And so feelings are really a big part of who God made us to be. 
we just have to learn what to do with them and how to how to deal with them. Um, and what we say now is that there is no such thing as good or bad feelings, but there are pleasurable feelings and there are challenging feelings. Tim, I heard you say that in the intro and mm-hmm. um, A plus for EHR. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, that's what the key is to having an emotionally healthy life, processing those challenging feelings and knowing that you can't live in that fullness that God has for you unless you let him transform every part of you, heart, mind and soul. And that includes your feelings. Right. Um, the other really life-changing realization I had was I began to realize like why I was someone who'd been a Christian for over 30 years, but probably had the spiritual maturity of a teenager. Mm. Uh, my wife, Becky, might say that I'm still a toddler <laughs> in some of these areas, but you can't be spiritually mature if you're not emotionally right. mature. And we're right. all on different parts of the journey. Yeah. What I find interesting about the iceberg, it's not just that, oh, hey, this 20% is what I show to others. It's actually what you're aware of yourself. Like mm-hmm. there was this journey of self-discovery and self-awareness that you go through on this. It's just like, how yes. do, how have I walked through life for decades yeah. and not even realized this about myself? So it's really powerful. Yeah. One of the great sessions is knowing yourself that you may know God Yep. and really contrast this idea that at times uh, as leaders, right? I mean, we have a lot of leaders listening in. Um, we have a heart for God. We want to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, like David, right? A man mm. after God's own heart. But the reality is we all have a mini Saul inside. Yes, that was convicting. Lurking inside us, a, a shadow side, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that inner tyrant when we don't get our way or we feel anxiety or people's disapproval and we don't quite know what to do with that. Uh, sometimes we'll self-medicate. You know, I don't want to feel that. I'll just numb out. Um, or we'll do a relational cutoff. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? If that person, you know what? I'm going to shake my dust off my sandals and don't let the door hit you <laughs> in the back on your way out. Um, which, of course, is not the way of Jesus. Right. And so it is a bit of an invitation to self-crucifixion of our inner tyrant. And you realize, like, oh, that's why the crowds got thin when Jesus said, who wants to go with me? <laughs> Pick up your cross, right? <laughs> um, for me, Mike, um, some of the biggest benefits of this as mm-hmm. a staff is that it gave us all common language. Yeah. Um, I think about for for me, and I'm going to ask you maybe just some some things where you saw in our staff, but for me... One of the great themes of the course was differentiation. Yeah. Um, and that is, you know, remaining, you know, connected to people, but not allowing my reactions to be triggered or controlled by them. Think of like the cancel culture, how much nowadays you said something, now I'm upset because Mike said that and that offended me. And so I'm going to, differentiation is really one of the, the, the great examples of what it means to be emotionally and spiritually mm-hmm. mature. Um, you have a clear sense of self. And recognize that others may differ with that, but you're able to self-regulate my own anxiety, self-soothe my hurts in a healthy way, and uh, tolerate discomfort, that we can still be in relationship even though we disagree. That is so lacking right now in our culture, and this has given us common language. Explain a little bit about how that impacted us as a staff. Yeah, the common language has been really the biggest benefit because we're all at different parts in the journey, right? Yep. And so having common language around the office casually, sometimes in conversation or in meetings, um, it happens all the time, right? And one of the big things is uh, some of the guidelines that Pete gives, which is you speak only in I statements. Yeah. Sometimes it's easy to hide behind the collective, like, oh, we're so busy, so maybe we shouldn't do that. But really, when you speak or yourself, you say, hey, I'm really busy with this project, and so it would really help me if we could figure out a way to to rebalance, you know, what's happening here, right. um, and not hiding behind that we. That, that's by the way, that's classic in church world, yeah. right? You know, hey, I have some concerns. You know, I've heard some people saying yes. that. Yeah. 
Right. People now around the office, I'll hear them correct themselves. Yep. They'll start with the we and they'll actually, no, I should just speak for myself. Yep. Use an I, I statement. Da, 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 I feel. Yep. So yep. you actually see people implementing that in our conversations. Yeah. And that helps because it also helps us care for the staff better, right? Yeah. Um, another one is one you mentioned, Tim, family of origin, foo. Not like a Mr. T, I pity the foo, but really just <laughs> like family of origin. Yeah, family of origin. And it's recognizing how our past impacts our present. And really the, the key is that um, Pete says who you were kind of as an 8 to 12-year-old, those were really formative years. That actually um, dictates a lot of how you respond to stressful situations and challenging situations. And so the patterns that you have in your families and, and, you know, it's evidenced by the holidays are coming up. When you go back home for a few days, you revert back to that teenager that you were. And that's really who you are. And so it was. Uh, I am yeah, it's guilty, <laughs> guilty, guilty, guilty. Yeah. But awareness is the key, right? Yeah. Awareness is the key. And uh, the last one I'll kind of share with you guys is I'm puzzled. We'll go through that later as well. But uh, instead of jumping to conclusions and making assumptions about why someone did something, we'll hear a lot more of I'm puzzled. Um, this one, you can use it with sarcasm, which we recommend you don't do, but the tone really <laughs> matters here. And you're really just trying to dig deeper and understand maybe someone's motives or intent without jumping to conclusions right. about so it. So like someone walks late into a meeting, it's, hey, I'm puzzled why you were late today when we agreed to start at 10. Right. You're not trying to nail them to the wall, right? but you're also not making up a story, yep. which is like, you're being disrespectful. It's right. like, no, I was caught behind a school bus in traffic. Yep. Yeah, uh, today. Yep. But the thing is, is when you say I'm puzzled because we've gone through this course as a staff, they know what you're doing. They're saying, oh, they're asking me in a respectful way. A they're using way, this yeah. language that we've been taught to facilitate these conversations. And so people actually, their response is better. Yes. yes to do absolutely. it with honor and respect, not yep. aggression or accusation. Right. Yeah. And you don't get defensive like you yes. said. So that's a yeah. key. Yeah. That's awesome. So Something else I've really appreciated about these courses, um, this is super practical, by the way, but I'm just going to go there because if you're listening right now, it's like, hey, this all sounds great, but how do you actually facilitate that, right? Is that you, we offered the classes to the staff. One of the classes we offered in the evening, then we offered another one during the work day. For me, I actually had to get childcare for the evening session. So that felt like, oh, this is extra. This is actually adding, although it's good, it's adding some stress. Um, to my situation. But then when I took one during the day, it was so good for my life situation. And then we actually offered for spouses to join as well. So my husband went through EHS and EHR as well, so we could take everything that we were learning home. So Mike, for you, what was the thought behind schedules, spouses, and kind of the organization around this? Yeah, so because it is a course, it does require like two hours, eight week commitments for each of the courses. But we wanted to send the signal to our staff that we think this is so important that we want you to take two hours during the workday or at night, whatever is convenient for you for those two months to be poured into, to be developed, to be cared for. I know a lot of the department managers, especially in the fall, um, Liquid Family, our finance team, they actually changed their in-person days so that their teams could participate. The finance team made sure that they had no meetings to conflict. And, um, and I was really appreciative of that because the people were able to come and really participate without worrying about what am I missing while I'm in this class right now. Um, and as for spouses, you know, one of the things that's really part of our DNA as a church is that our first man ministry that God calls us to is our families. So we want to take every opportunity to honor that calling. And even thinking about the three of us, I know I couldn't do what I do every day without being in a healthy place with Becky. Lauren, I know how much uh, you and Cameron support each other. And Colleen uh, probably takes the cake here with how much 
Tim's stories and illustrations <laughs> include her. So shout out to Colleen. Um, but, you know, we know if we want our staff to be emotionally healthy and spiritually mature, then our home life has to be intentionally included in that. So on a practical level, having your spouse or family member participate in EHS and EHR, it just takes uh, what you can do to a whole new level as well. It's incredible. And Mike, because you have a teenage son, you actually have taught him some of these lessons. So you actually exchange and use some of that language. So just saying that it kind of can expand to the whole family as the spouses learn it too. Yeah, we want this to really be part of our family so that, you know, the more I know I practice it at home, the more I know that I, I will incorporate into everyday life. So it's really been powerful for me. Yeah, well, super one impactful. Of our, one of our values is we would say, hey, your marriage is your first ministry, mm. right? I mean, this is what, what God said in terms of marriage, actually showing the love between Jesus and the church. And, um, you know, that that gets a lot of lip service, I think, in a lot of churches and leadership environments. Oh, yeah, no, no marriage is really important. But the reality is um, the best ministry flows is out of the overflow of a healthy marriage because family systems would say what you're replicating in your home, your dynamic with your wife, with your kids, all the power dynamics, conflict resolution, they're just gonna iterate or repeat themselves in a church only with more catastrophic results. And so this has been investment, not just in our staff, but in their spouses and kids, and we want their marriages to flourish, believing even if that means a little bit more time at home and a little less productivity, it's gonna ultimately benefit the health of our church in the long run. Yeah, and that's received as a gift, like to the staff yeah. saying, hey, we want to invite you into this. We're going to pay for this course for you. Right. We're going to give you the course materials. We also want to invite your staff, your your spouses into that. Absolutely. Um, that, that is received as a gift, like, oh, they really care for me. So I feel like it works in multiple ways. People really say like, hey, this is a family atmosphere. They actually care about me as a human being, not just as somebody who's an employee of the organization. Right. So, Mike, we started with EHS, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. That was the first course focused on our vertical relationship with God. We learned about silence and stillness, observing the Sabbath, being with Jesus. But then in 2022, this year, we offered our staff the second course, which is EHR, Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And that's about horizontal relations, practical skills to relate well horizontally with others. Tell us a little bit about the purpose of EHR and what we've been learning in this course. Yeah, sure. Let me answer your question with the Bible trivia question. Um, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment, what answer uh, did he give? Lauren or Tim, anyone? Tithe 10%? <laughs> that, no, that's not. That was the second one. <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's right. Yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second one, which is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. It was a twofer. It was he actually gave two. Yeah, he gave two. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so another way to say this actually is that the amount that you love God, the actual amount that you, uh, actually the actual amount that you love others is actually a reflection of the amount that you love God. Right. And that was really an eye-opening um, thought for me. When I heard Pete describe the greatest commandment that way, it really changed how I thought about my relationships. And so EHR is about all about how to love others well, and it teaches you these eight or nine practical uh, skills. And it helps you do just that, right? But if I could share a little secret with you guys, it's never going to be about the other person. It's always going to be about you. It's about taking the plank out of your own eye before you reach for the right. speck in your neighbor's right. eye. It's about asking, hey, what's God doing inside of me? Uh, what's he speaking to me through my feelings? But how do I honor the other person as a person that's created in God's image? And how do I respond for the sake of the relationship? So there's a variety of skills there uh, that Pete teaches as you go through EHR, but it really has been transformative for my yeah, life. Yeah, the clarifying expectations, realizing that we have so many assumptions of other people that yep. we never verbalize, they never agree to. 
so helpful, right, for our teams, um, even just to understand each other's families of origin. Yeah. I know we're doing our genogram uh, right now, which is kind of like looking back two to three generations, because that's what a biblical definition of family is. It's not just like, hey, you're, you know, your spouse and kids right now. It's two or three generations, uh, and because often you'll see patterns repeat themselves. When you know that, uh, when people's backgrounds, where they come from, um, like you have a Korean background, Mike, yep. and you're sharing a little bit of that culture. I'm like, wow, so different than than me growing up, you know, in a, in a Dutch uh, background, uh, marrying an Italian-Irish woman. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Super helpful. So talk us, maybe you'll have a little bit, make this live, some of the tools that have been eye-opening for us as a team. Yeah, yeah. So this really fun tool that you learn, um, I think it might be week one of yep. emotionally healthy relationships, is the community temperature reading. It's an exercise. You get to actually express yourselves to others. The goal is to build healthy relationships. It's essentially this brief sharing. It leverages some specific language. We were talking about common language before. There's five steps Mike, just walk us through the first three. I think that would practically help our listeners get a sense of the type of things that you learn um, without getting too overwhelmed. Yeah, I'd love to do that. And uh, commute temperature reading really is a great way to start. Um, and each of these have a theological or biblical principle behind it, but we won't get into that. We'll just kind of get into the practical side of it. Okay. Um, so the first one are, is appreciations. Right? And the sentence stem is, I, pre- I appreciate, and then you would say what you appreciate. And the reason behind the appreciation is... Um, we want to show the other person that we see them, that they're seen, that we appreciate them. But for a lot of us, giving an appreciation is a really big deal, right? Like, do you guys, when you were growing up, did you really receive appreciations a lot? Or was it more like unspoken? How did that go in your house? So my household probably overappreciated. Interesting. (laughs) Um, In the sense that I I was told all the time, this is serious. It feels, it feels wonky to say this, but like, you're the best, you're the greatest, you can do anything. Or you, like just this kind of celebration around the children. We were always really celebrated and lifted up. And my grandmother, I think, did think I was the, the best little girl in the world. How about you, Mike, just like that? Yeah, so um, I think we probably <laughs> lived in the complete opposite side of uh, the world. Uh, Asian culture, we don't give appreciations because we don't want our kids to get big heads. Mm. We don't want to go to their oh, heads. So we just don't say anything. And you should just know. Um, and and so, yeah, I have never heard that I was the best. (laughs) Wow. Uh, and so, you know, that does something as a kid growing up, but you don't think it's just normal, right? So you don't think about it. Um, but then going through EHR, I realized like, wow, like, and I don't receive appreciation as well either. So it's something that I'm actually working on. So it just works like this where you say, Hey, uh, I appreciate it. And then you fill in the blank. And so Lauren, I, I really, uh, I appreciate that. Um, you know, you took the time to review my systems document with me last week. Uh, you're blazing the trail for us for Digital Church, and uh, I'm really excited to be working with you and, and just learning from you and your leadership and your experience and your wisdom. Thank you so much, Mike. So it's Seriously. just an appreciation. An appreciation. You're just starting just the like conversation yep. with expression of gratitude for something. about. But them. sometimes that's like, so Mike, uh, he does this, right? Yeah. So you yeah. might get a text message one morning yeah. with an appreciation yep. or maybe uh, a note or an email or maybe a follow-up to a meeting that you just had. And let me tell you, it feels good. Yeah. Feels good to have somebody tell you, you they saw you and appreciated what you did. Right. Maybe and you thought typically it would go unnoticed. And so this is not transactional. This isn't like a leadership tip like, hey, I really appreciate how you did those documents. If you could do the next 12 <laughs> yes. uh, no, by it's Friday. Not like that. Right. Yeah, it's, it's not, not greasing the tracks. That. It's no. genuinely seeing that person for who they are, right. not just what they do. Right. A lot of times I would say we think a lot of thoughts that are appreciative and they go unspoken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And this is kind of making a habit and a practice of yeah. not doing that. And in the course, you actually, I mean, you do, you, you work on building those muscles. Like, let's exercise those guys. Yeah. Let's go out and do that. Um, and to try to make it become, you know, part of your habit and how you live. Yeah. And it's not waiting for someone to go that extra mile either. It's just seeing yeah. them for who they are, what they do. Um, this is Lauren's job, right, is to be our digital director. So I just wanted to share that appreciation that I, I just love the work that she's doing here. Now, this is really important, guys. This is not like just some leadership skill. What you're doing in a lot of ways are reparenting people in the new family of Jesus, right? We think of the church, our congregation, well, it's the family of Jesus, but often not our teams or our staff. And uh, I remember in, in one of my, my groups, someone said when we did the appreciations, they said, you know, that's new for me. Um, and I said, oh, what was it like in your, your food, your family of origin? He said, well, I might get complimented for something I did, but I was never appreciated for who I was. Mm. And so for him Powerful. to say, now to work at a church where this team actually sees who I am at my core, not just appreciates you know, for me and my leadership tasks, was really healing to him. Um, so it is something that, you know, it takes intentionality, but you can do a cultural reset for your staff and team. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what would be the second part of the, uh, temperature reading? Yeah. So the second one is called, uh, puzzles or I'm puzzled. And this is for all the judgment addicts out there, right? My name is Mike. I'm a judgment addict. Anyone else? <laughs> um, and puzzles are, are the things that help us from crossing over the line into assumptions, which is like making up a story about someone else or the story I'm telling myself. Right. Okay. And we all do it, right. We'll get a text message or we'll send a text message or an email and the other person doesn't write back. Mm. And then what's that story that you yeah. tell yourself? Or, uh, you're supposed to grab lunch with the coworker and they're 20 minutes late and you haven't heard from them yet, right? So before right. you let yourself get up to that uh, point, you you stay in that posture of curiosity and you go with, I'm puzzled. So this one's made up, but I'll, I'll give it as an example. Um, you know, I'd say something like, hey, Tim, I'm, I'm puzzled why you were on that Zoom meeting when everyone else was in person. Um, and then so instead of letting myself think, well, Tim made everyone else come into the office while he got to stay home and be on Zoom, um, you know, I would ask him and maybe there was something else that was happening there. Maybe yeah. his car broke down. Maybe he had another appointment that was closer to his home. And, and so he, or he had, uh, maybe Colleen was sick. Right. And so before letting myself jump to that place of judgment, I want to make sure that, uh, I'm honoring him and what's happening in his life. So puzzle is just a generous way. It's a lot of times we use it when you might get your toes stepped on mm, or yes. someone does something that you're like, that, that's not helpful. Like mm -hmm. that'd be a great example, right? Yeah. Like we're trying to, Hey, have in-person meetings, but then someone just comes on during zoom. And you're like, yeah. what's up with that? And then we make up a story right. about why that is. Oh, they think they're better than you or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so I'm puzzled is just saying generous language. Mm -hmm. It's saying I'm puzzled. Why? Like, well, this would be, this isn't even a good example. Cause I was going to say like, Lauren, I'm puzzled why you were 10 minutes late. That's never happened. <laughs> it's always me. So why don't you do the puzzle? Tim, I'm puzzled why we set this on your calendar and we agreed to the time, but then you were 10 minutes late. Thank you, Lauren. <laughs> um, I was doing a hosting workshop yes. with our campus pastors and it went so well, it ran over, but I apologize for being 10 minutes late. And now because I use the puzzled language at the front of that and it's our common language, doesn't it kind of diffuse for you like... Why it didn't feel accusational. It didn't yeah. feel aggressive. And it also, you didn't just brush past it and be like, well, he's the lead pastor. I can't say anything. I mean, you know. Can, can I can I call that out? Because as soon as you said, like, well, Lauren, why don't you do that? I felt a little, like, heat rise. Like, <laughs> really? oh, Tim's well, my boss. Like, okay, I'm going to do this puzzle statement. <laughs> right. However, we are actually learning these skills so that we can go. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, top down. They're going to, yeah. they can use this language. That's right. No, 
I could actually, Tim's my manager, yeah. but I could use this language with him in our meetings, in our conversations, perfectly acceptable. Yes. And yeah. seeking understanding. Yep. Not, not, you know, I need to, it's, it's a very powerful tool. Give me one more, Mike. I was going to say, uh, it also works the other way, Lauren. You were saying that like you felt the heat, but I yeah. think as managers, sometimes we don't realize the impact our words have, right? And mm. so as a manager, if yeah. you go to your staff member and you start with, I'm puzzled, um, I feel like that is always a way for them to know, oh, my manager is like, this is a care moment. This yes. isn't like a get my, where's my work moment. Can mm. I give a warning though, a yeah. user's warning that should be in the manual? Um, it will open up conversation, but the other night, cause I took it with Colleen, my wife yeah, and literally after dinner, she literally said, she just goes, um, can I ask you a question? I was like, yeah, sure. What's up? She goes, I'm puzzled. And I was like, oh no, here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was actually so generous. She just goes, I'm puzzled that you actually took our dishes after dinner over to the sink, washed them off, but didn't go the extra 12 inches and put them in the dishwasher. <laughs> And it was funny. And I just said, I don't know why I did that. I think if I get them to sink in my mind, it's done. And then she said, well, I noticed you leave them in the sink. I'd prefer if you just put them in the dishwasher and then I don't have to do anything. And I was like, mm. I can do that. Yeah. And that was a, di there wasn't a fight. There wasn't a conflict or like, why are you so lazy? You're just leaving them in the sink. You think I'm the maid here, right? Yes. Totally different dynamic, yeah. but it's a generosity behind that. And that's the last tool, Mike, the, the I yeah. notice I prefer. Yeah, notice and prefer. Tim, thanks for the, the great model for it. Um, a lot of us were taught how to share our complaints. Or we're not taught, we just naturally kind yes. of share our complaints, but we're not taught how to share our preferences in a healthy way, right? And that, in fact, we're actually taught the opposite, right? We say, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't, don't say, say it at all, at all. Yeah. right? And notice and prefer gives the speaker the ability to share like a minor complaint. We're not trying to solve world hunger or right, anything like that. Right. Um, but just give a, a preference to what you would like the solution to be. And so at our house, it's, you know, you know Toby, I noticed that uh, your socks are on the ground again. Oh, I've done this one too. <laughs> <laughs> I would prefer that you, when you take them off, they go in the hamper. Yes. Right? Oh, that's so funny. That that's. I was like, oh, that's what it comes to my mind. Except I did that with my husband. <laughs> I noticed that your socks are always on the floor. I'd prefer if they were just in the hamper. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. But um, I think that's a favorite in our household, the notice and prefer between my husband and yes. I. It's like, I noticed you have this fill in the blank habit of doing something. And a lot of times it's like, oh, I didn't even notice that about myself or I had no idea that that was bothersome to yeah. you or mm -hmm. confusing to yeah. you. And it takes very little effort to correct. Yeah. But it, helps build relationships. And if you want to have fun, you you send back, you say, I noticed that my socks is a big deal for you and I prefer you didn't mention it again. <laughs> <laughs> so actually we do teach not to use these tools as weapons. Uh, <laughs> don't weaponize these What skills. not to do, yeah. yeah. absolutely. And you know, being from the Northeast, sarcasm is one of our love languages, mm -hmm. I like to say. Mm. And so we see a lot of sarcasm in our yeah. staff as we use these tools. <laughs> But I get encouraged because it means that they're still they still care about the tools. They're still top of mind, yes. and they're finding healthy ways to share with others you know, about the tools. Mike, one part of the EHR course that's been so helpful for us is learning how to fight clean. That is healthy conflict. What does healthy conflict look like, and how do you see that you know being used well as a tool among staff? Yeah, conflict is something that we all are terrible at. Um, mm. Just want to put it out there. And you know, the interesting thing about conflict is that we actually do conflict all differently based on our family of origin and our experiences, right? So we all bring the way that we do conflict in an unhealthy way to our staff, and all of our staff bring their own baggage 
in terms of conflict. So we really have about 100 ways of doing conflict in our staff. And so we're really good at avoiding conflict. Yeah. And that's what we've really gotten good at, sweeping it under the rug. But it doesn't really resolve anything. And, um, you know, what you want to do is understand that if you don't resolve the conflict, then it's going to surface later and it's really going to cause bigger problems and bigger issues later. And so what EHR teaches you is to first recognize how to do conflict by reflecting on what's causing that difficult feeling. You really explore what the anger, sadness, fear, disappointment maybe is, uh, and then decide what to do with it. And the key is here, it's for the sake of the relationship. It's not to win the fight. It's not to mm. to show that you were right and the other person was wrong. It's Everything is for uh, the sake of the relationship. And we're all learning how to do life in the new family of Jesus. Yeah, amen, amen. You know, it's interesting. The um, I was Pete was saying, um, when you think about leaders, you can't lead people where you haven't gone yourself, mm-hmm. right? And so many times we we preach aspirationally, but good leadership requires that we confront the parts of ourselves that we'd prefer to ignore. Mm. Uh, a great leader is intensely aware of his or her shadow and can intensely shine the light on it. And so it is interesting to think that, oh, discipleship, it's not just growing in Bible knowledge. Um, or, you know, uh, external disciplines, whether that's serving or tithing, but saying, you know what, part of this is we're teaching people to leave their family of origin and learn to live in the new family of Jesus. Yeah. That is a, that is a paradigm shifter uh, for us. Yeah, and I think we have to remind ourselves that the relationship is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I mean, when I think of that, I know we're talking about this from a staff perspective, but we talked about the fact that you take this with your spouses and we want this to trickle into your family life and all of that. Mm-hmm. I think that helps us to become healthy at work, but it helps us to become healthy at home too and to understand our, our spouses better, understand ourselves better in that process. So I think it's it's just a really powerful process. It's been powerful for us, um, again, not to get too much into it, but again, growing up in a, a Dutch household, um, <laughs> I literally said I can't remember anyone ever raising their voice growing up in my home, which Colleen just laughs, 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 because she came from an Italian and Irish household, and it's like this volume goes to 11. <laughs> <laughs> and so when we were early married on, here we are trying to blend our families of origin, and uh, if I had a problem, I'd get quieter and quieter. I actually mm. withdraw, I stonewall. And then she's like, he's not listening. So she's going to get louder. And of course, then I get to judge and say, see, she's on crazy pills, not me. I'm the mature one here. Right. When I have all this inner judgment, right, in my own heart about that. And now we realize, wait a minute, no. Who is our family that God's calling us to be? We're going to actually set new generational patterns, hopefully healthier, more self-aware, so that we can leave a legacy for our children. And of course, they can go to counseling themselves as well. (laughs) (laughs) What's an example, Mike, though, of this actually playing out in the office environment? Yeah, I actually had one of the managers uh, of our staff come to me and just share like, hey, I'm struggling with someone that's on my team that's carrying a lot of hurt from past expectations and experiences. You know, I want to be supportive, but I also don't want to just keep going through the cycle where they're just kind of venting to me. Um, And so we went through some of the skills together on clarifying expectations, but maybe modeling first for that member Uh, who hasn't taken EHR, like some invalid expectations Mm. that they've had and maybe taking an inventory on valid and invalid expectations. And we work through it. And we also kind of work through, hey, you know, why is this triggering for you, right? Are there past hurt or expectations that you're going through as well that's making you respond a certain way? And so it was just a really encouraging way that someone was like, I think I need EHR. And they came to me. Um, And then I had another manager actually ask, how do I share preferences with someone 
uh, who's on my team and blind spots with another coworker who's who's on uh, you know our team. And in both cases, I was able to point them back to EHR. Hey, like, don't make assumptions about the other person. Don't make assumptions about their intent, whether it is a blind spot or not even. You know, take some time to journal what's going on inside of you. What's God kind of uh, sharing with you? What value of yours is being violated? And then only then can you have that honest conversation with the other person to say, this is my, uh, this is where God is kind of leading me. I'd love to have this conversation with you about it. And in all those situations, even though EHR was kind of a, a side thought, um, it was in their tool belts to be able to navigate the situation, and they knew exactly what to do after that. Yeah, you were able to point them back to yeah. it. So what I love about EHS, right, it's not a, a box to check, mm-hmm. um, EHS and EHR, right? You don't finish the course and you arrive at some magical destination. <laughs> right, right. Um, it's definitely an ongoing journey, but it can have the power to impact the culture of your organization. So, Mike, have you, I'm hoping you've seen some positive changes here at Liquid. What have you seen? Yeah, uh, the first is that there's such a genuine excitement around the skills, uh, especially with EHR. Um, people that have taken it, they're sharing with the people that haven't taken it, and so it's a little bit of FOMO in a healthy way. Um, but especially our newest and youngest staff, I was just talking to him about this yesterday. You know, if I had these skills 20 years ago, I mm. probably would have avoided so much unnecessary, unhealthy conflict. Um, and even though I'll walk around the office and someone will say, hey, I'm puzzled why you didn't eat, order your own fries and you're eating mine. It, it means some people are thinking about it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. important to them. And uh, I just love that people are recognizing it, you know, appreciations um, in their meetings or speaking in I statements. And so that awareness is really that first step, awareness and common language. And so in the first year of offering it, we've had over 55% of our staff actually go through EHR. Uh, and so it's it's exciting because I also have people who have taken it saying, hey, this when you offer it again, I'd love to be able to take this week or that week again so I could fine tune and really hone my skills. Mm, that's powerful. I like that. And so is the goal here, I mean, I'm assuming the goal is we want to get everybody through it, right? Yeah, we'd love for all of our staff to go through it. I'd love to, you know, recruit more people to help me teach it um, and have, you know, other EH champions with me on on staff here. But it's really just been an amazing experience for all of us who've gone through it. It's an investment, guys. I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, that's true. You know what? This is worth our investment. We're going to have to stop doing some things Mm -hmm. in order to start creating new groups, new habits among our staff. And that's hard, right? Because one of the crazy making, uh, you know, one of the things that we do great as a North American church is crazy making. Mm. We say, yes, put something else on the menu, but we take nothing else off it. It's true. And so mm-hmm. we had to stop doing some things and said, you know, we're going to invest in this as a staff. It's not going to be overnight and it's going to take actually a three-year process. And that's really what it's been. We've gone slow and we worked ourselves from the center out. So just a warning to some lead pastors or preachers who says, oh man, I love this idea. I'm going to preach this, uh, you know, next month as a, as a eight week, as an eight week, uh, you know, sermon series. No, 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 no. <laughs> In fact, I had to talk myself out of that because it showed that my inner soul was more interested and, in, you know, having an impact yes. than doing the self-reflective work. That's so much harder, right? And takes time. So I just caution you that we took a, you know, again, work from the inside out, our core staff, pastors, then our small group leaders, and then even two years later, eventually brought it to our whole congregation. Um, so as leaders are listening to this, uh, maybe you've been like, man, it sounds like EH could be something really helpful for my staff in the new year. But practically speaking, Mike, what are some of the best practices for implementing this if I'm a church leader listening right now? 
Yeah. So the best thing we could recommend is to take it for yourself once to go through it. Uh, the emotionally healthy discipleship course, that's both EHS and EHR. Uh, if you want to get a little teaser into EHS, uh, if you check out Pete's emotionally healthy leadership podcast, uh, this past uh, excellent in January, 2021, he's actually spent eight weeks uh, of, his, of his podcast sharing EHS concepts for about mm. 30 minutes at a time. The course is two hours. So 30 minutes just kind of gives you a really good taste of what the content's about. And then if you decide that it's for you and your church, I would have your leadership go through it together, sort of similar to what we did, because we really want uh, transformation to happen from the inside out, right? It has to be true and transformative in your life for it to really take root and take hold of your congregation's life. Um, And then you will quickly also see who your EH champion is. I never thought that that would be me in our church, Um, but really the material and the content has spoken to me in a way that... um, really resonates and has kind of permeated every part of my life. And so you want that person that's going to be thinking about emotional health in every meeting and every sermon series and every conflict and uh, just realize that discipleship is really slow, Mm, right? Jesus spent three years, 24 seven with these same 12 guys, didn't have anything to distract them and they still really didn't get it. So (laughs) it takes a long time, um, but trust the process. And, uh, and so, you know, I really want to just encourage you that it is, uh, if you trust the process and you kind of bring your staff through it, it and it does require mind shift set, or mind set shift, uh, it will take, it'll bear fruit. It'll bear a lot of fruit for your, for your congregation and for your staff. Mike, you had mentioned to me, there's a Japanese philosopher who wrote a book called The Three Mile an Hour God. Yeah. Uh, and so his name is Kosuke Koyama. Um, and he wrote this book. And the point of the book really is that Jesus moved at three miles an hour because he walked everywhere. And so sometimes to catch up with Jesus and where he's going and what he's doing, you actually have to slow down. Oh, mind shift. Uh, yeah. That's a big mind shift for us as uh, churches in, the, yeah. in North America. That's so interesting, guys. And that and that really is. I mean, it, it, I feel a little sheepish to you and say like, man, I have to learn that in my 40s, that my doing for Jesus can outpace my being with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all know that at the beginning of our discipleship journey, but then we get so busy in our Martha mode, yeah. Martha mode activated. <laughs> you know, I literally do that like every day with my children. I'm like, yeah. okay, Lauren, like you're folding the laundry and your child's asking you to play with them. Are you going to be Martha or Mary right, right now? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you give into those compulsions, yeah. and that's where ministry gets unhealthy. Uh, I, for many years, certainly early on after we launched Liquid in 2007, I would be described as a compulsive minister, just kind of banging from reacting one thing to the next, mm. um, making a lot of noise and creating some chaos. And, you know, it was not a sustainable pattern. It wasn't mm. healthy. And so that was a big gift, um, particularly now as we're learning to make silence, solitude, mm-hmm. Sabbath, yeah. part of our marks of leadership success, right? Like we, we like we know, anyone who works for me, like, Lauren, you, you you always note that in Janet and Kyra, is I'm always about like, talk to me about vacations. Have you taken all your vacations? It's true. And I want to say coming out of EHS, I created some new rhythms. Like I always did some work on Sunday nights because I mm-hmm. wanted to get a jump start on my week. It just made me feel like at peace, like I was ahead. And I was like, convicted, no, you have to find a better rhythm. This should fit into your work week. So it should fit into your work week. You should take all your vacation days. There are just better habits that create healthy humans, healthy leaders, and then you actually get more out of that. If people worry about productivity, it's counterintuitive, right? It is. It's about, it's not necessarily doing different work. It's working differently. Yeah. And that's what I appreciate. Like, Lauren, you're very mature that way. That's a compliment. I appreciate Thank that you. about you. <laughs> <laughs> but I think now, you know, with like the phenomenon of like quiet quitting, 
sometimes people are like, it's all or nothing. It's like, you know, I'm doing stuff on Sunday night where I've been working all Sunday morning. Screw that. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm drawing a boundary, which is not actually the spirit <laughs> of Sabbath, which is actually saying, you know what? I'm going to do that on Fridays mm-hmm. and preload those emails to arrive on Monday morning at 8.30 because I don't want to hit people at 5 a.m. Yes. The minute they wake up, I'm going to be considerate of my teammates. It's amazing, too, because when you go through that and you start to uh, do some of these principles, right, how things kind of align. Yeah. I'm always like, uh-huh. how did God make it? I didn't get any more time, but somehow he made it that I could get everything done. That's amazing. Yeah. And it really has nothing to do with, like, doing more or doing less, right? It's about what we're doing coming out of the overflow mm-hmm. of being with Jesus and what Jesus yes. calls us to do. So there are times, because it's not like Martha was bad, right? Martha no, it's just that right. Mary chose no. what was better, right? And so there are yes. times in our life where God's asking us to be more Martha-like, and there are times when he's asking yes. us to be more Mary-like, right? And so, yeah, it, it's been just really incredible to be able to just keep that awareness going in our uh, in our staff. Yeah, you know, I want to ask you about the fact that every church does have churn, This is just one thing I think that is a struggle, people coming and going. So how do you bring the new staff in to the fold and invest in them so this does really become part of your permanent culture? Yeah, so at Liquid, uh, what we did is uh, after we did EHS, we actually decided that EHS and EHR were both going to become part of our leadership pipeline. So we continue to offer both of these courses to our staff and our high-capacity volunteers every year. So once in the spring and once in the fall. And so... Um, we're going to continue to make sure that as people grow in their leadership here, that EHS and EHR is part of their discipleship journey. As part of our podcast each month, we do want to spotlight some churches making waves and doing great work. It's not just about giving them a shout out, but about pointing you in the right direction so you can become better equipped and resourced. So today we have been raving about emotionally healthy courses, which is really the brainchild, the work of Pete Scazzaro and his wife, Jerry. And uh, Pete and Jerry are a gift to the global church. I mean, in the groups that Colleen and I have been in with them, We've sat along with pastors from Nigeria, uh, you know, Uzbekistan and the Netherlands, and it's pretty incredible, actually, the impact they're having. Um, So, Mike, could you share a little bit more about the work that EmotionallyHealthy.org does and why we're raving fans? Yeah, EmotionallyHealthy.org, you can uh, go there for a a ton of resources. Um, You can sign up for the courses there. He has a blog. You can subscribe to his podcast. Uh, He also has, you know, EHS and EHR, but he also has Emotionally Healthy Leadership, Um, And really, he is just helping churches all around the world uh, grow in their maturity and leadership. Because not only do we have these family of origin conflicts, there's also cultural dynamics at play. And Pete and Jerry really have been able to um, speak into the lives of churches all across the world in that way. And so highly recommend EmotionallyHealthy.org, where you can find out all the information that you need. Awesome. Thank you, Mike. Well, now it is time for our segment, Something Fun or Something Free. On each episode of Church Changer, we want to end on a high note. And today we're giving away some of Mike's precious time, which, by the way, I did not set clear expectations. And right before we recorded this, I'm like, hey, Mike, guess what we're doing? I'm puzzled. Um, Yeah, I'm puzzled, Lauren, why you did this. But he is willing and, oh my goodness, whoever wins this is going to be lucky because it's a free 30-minute coaching call with Mike. You want to pick his brain about implementing this at your church? 
Simply sign up for our leader guide at churchchanger.com slash podcast. You're automatically entered then to win that free 30-minute coaching call with Mike. Mike, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for being who you are. You know, you just, I just been such a joy to get to know you. And now we serve together on our, you know, executive leadership team and you are the real deal, you know, Mm -hmm. right, Lauren? He is. Mike is so authentic authentic. and genuine and brings a lot of joy to our office too. You're a lot of fun. I appreciate that about you. Guys, I received that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, to see everything we're doing, follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at churchchangers. Plus, we'd love if you followed Church Changer on Apple Podcasts, wherever it is you're listening. Hey, if you enjoyed today's show, do us a favor. Leave us a rating or review. It just helps us get the word out to other leaders. We just so appreciate that. Thanks again for joining us. Remember, guys, change is inevitable. Irrelevance is not. So let's put aside our egos and logos and do something great for God together.